0: Welcome to our new series entitled Make a Difference, Learning to Follow God Well. It's a new beginning for our church. It's a new season. It's, it's really a new day, and, and it's felt like that this morning, like we're going into a, a new era together. Um, last, uh, two weeks ago, I did an introduction on the book of 1 Samuel, and I told, uh, told you we're not going to be teaching 1 Samuel. Um, we're going to be teaching in 1 Samuel, but not actually the book of 1 Samuel, because we're going to be completely ignoring the main person besides god who is the focal point of the samuel books and that's david we're, we're not going to be talking about david specifically so our, we're going to be studying though in first samuel and so that's why i introduced us to the book a couple weeks ago but what we're going to be doing is over this series looking at three people in three different generations consecutive generations who uh, learn to follow god well and or serve as great warnings of what is, happens when we don't follow god God well we're going to look at Hannah Hannah for four weeks here and then we're going to look at Samuel and then we're going to look at King Saul and again the aim of our study is to just see what is what the impact in in a life in a nation in generations as people learn to respond and to follow God well and the consequences when we when we miss out on that so today we're going to start by looking at Hannah Hannah in in first chapter first Samuel chapter one and her story as we're going to see it begins it begins in the context of years and years of pain it begins in the context of brokenness and we're going to see how God uses in Hannah's life painful circumstances how he uses painful circumstances to prepare her to follow God well we're going we're to see that she's going to make some choices over this, this next week or two that she probably would not have made uh, had she not been in this, in this intense season and experiencing such pain. So uh, just by way of starting off in this series, God can use painful circumstances to prepare us to follow God well. That's what we're seeing today. God can use painful circumstances to prepare us to follow god well sometimes it's years of pain like what hannah is going through years of disappointment which set us up to say yes when we wouldn't have otherwise maybe because god's setting us up for something that he understands that god himself understands is a challenging thing to say yes to or maybe something to give up that's challenging something a risk that's challenging I've, I've experienced this several times uh, One particular time it was about 16 and a half years ago uh, It was when God asked me to move to Scotland And I had to leave the safety of my job and sell most of our stuff and relocate to this country that I'd never been to In order to start a church at a place where I didn't know anybody And basically to move away from everything and everyone I knew in Seattle Including family and, and grandparents and sister and everyone To come here to come to the land of, of endless sunshine But God used, if you're new to this city, yeah, it's not. Anyways, God used a painful season to prepare me to say, yes, I will go. But not just, yes, I will go, because I'd already been there. Yes, I will go now. Now. The basic story is that I was working at this large church of about 5,000 people or so and and a very safe job very very amazing opportunity right near my family feeling uh, quite successful I guess in the ministry world but knowing that someday that God was calling me to Scotland but after a while after being there I got a new supervisor and that new supervisor as shocking as it may sound (laughs) didn't like me all that much I know, right? It's hard to believe. No, this is a true story, and and somehow he found a way. So, anyways, he he wanted to push me out of a particular ministry that I was teaching in, so that because he had a heart to teach and he wanted to be teaching in this ministry, and so what he ended up doing was speaking to his supervisor. So I'm I'm like way down, you know, as high as the heavens are, but I'm way down here, and 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 he was speaking to his supervisors uh about me and and he was saying things that 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 weren't entirely true and I, and I didn't pick up on this because there's there was five, there was um 110 paychecks in this church 110 paychecks So there's no way that someone down here knows what's being talked about uh, up in different areas of the staff And 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 I should have picked up on it with with a few different comments Like I was walking down the hall and by hall. I mean think like buchanan galleries, but it was a church building And and I I was walking down and one of the elders um said hey brian you know, when when do you think you're going to be starting? It's about time to probably start this this um, university ministry here in the church. <laughs> and, and I was a bit surprised by that because it was it had been going for quite some time, and it was by far the fastest growing, most vibrant ministry in all of the church. But but he didn't hear anything about it. As far as he knew, it wasn't it wasn't even happening. So I had this jealous supervisor who was speaking untrue stuff about me for the, to the, like, the big boxes in the church. And so that no one up there in senior leadership had any idea of anything good that was going on with, with me. And, you know, I, I didn't think about it too much because um, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit oblivious to this kind of a thing. But, but I, there was definitely a negative vibe going on. And, and this guy just made my work experience just really difficult. He had all these rigid rules about how to communicate to him, not in person, don't come into my office, send me an email, and things like that. I'm like, you're just down the hall, but, but that was his style, and, and so, but anyways, the senior leaders weren't very impressed with me, and, and for me, it was a, a sad and confusing uh, season, and it was in that time, it was in that time I made a few inquiries about Scotland Sooner, in that time. And I knew it was in my future. Someday this wasn't a new thing. Uh, but God used that negative moment, that painful season, to prepare me to say yes when God was going to be calling me to take a big step sooner than I was expecting to take. I guess as an interesting side, note, at least... For my point of view, maybe not your point of view After I said yes to scotland and after I ended up getting uh getting on this track to move here Um, that that person that supervisor moved on he he quit and he moved on And uh, then the senior leaders in that church found out what was going on and what was actually going on And I was able to really end well and have like nine months of just incredible favor Um after 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 I had already committed to god's next for my life Back to the painful season, though. Painful seasons can be tricky. Painful seasons can be tricky because in all, in all painful situations, you want to give up. In all painful seasons, you want to get out of them if you can. You want to move on if you, if you want. But not all painful seasons are about that. Very often, we're called to endure. Very often in painful situations, we're called to persevere. But sometimes, God uses painful situations to prepare us to say yes sooner, to say yes with more boldness, or to say yes with more sacrifice than we would have otherwise. I already knew my call to Scotland, but this painful se- season accelerated my timeline. We see in the Bible this, this same pattern all through it. The, this use of negative moments to prepare people. Like, for instance, with Moses. And when God's people were in Egypt and in slavery and they were in this terrible time, in their pain, they cried out to God. God hears them. This is God's version of the story, so I trust it. God, and and God hears them, and then, Mo, then Moses is born. And then Moses is preserved as a baby and protected as a baby. And then he ends up, um, through eight, over 80 years later, uh, coming back to to. Uh, help them with the exodus with god's power But there was that negative situation that set up the prayer that set in motion An 80 years process towards walking out of the out of slavery But then moses leads them out of egypt And and remember in the bible it, it says that god doesn't lead them straight to the promised land In fact, it says this and it's such a curious verse in exodus 13:17. it says when pharaoh let the people go God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby, for God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. Basically, they're not ready to follow God well. They're not, they're not going to go through with it. And so there, there's going to be some negative preparation that it's going to be used to prepare people to move into the promised land. So they're going to go, to the, going to go down to the Red Sea instead. And then you're going to have this army, that Pharaoh's army is going to be barreling down, and they're saved by a wall of fire. And then the Red Sea opens, and they walk through, and then Pharaoh's army comes storming through, and then they get, they, they drown. And, um... But that was part of this prepar- a crisis moment, a challenging moment to prepare them. And then they have 40 years of, of struggling and, and, and wandering in the wilderness until ultimately they are prepared to follow God courageously, as courageously as they need to be to take the land that God's taken them, taking them into. But that's negative preparation. In a similar way, God's going to prepare Hannah. He's going to prepare Hannah. Now, that was a whole nation at a glance. Now we're going to look at one woman one person, and now she's going to have a multi-generational impact by her giving up her son Samuel, and she's going to be prepared through a season of pain, a long season of pain. Let's look at her story. If you have your Bibles, I'm in First Samuel chapter 1. The words are going to be on the screen, and the words in, in my Bible here read like this. It says, there was a man from Ramathim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jerome, son of Elihu, son of Tofu, Tohu, Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Uh, Okay, Uh, just stopping there for a moment, the the historical background. Let's just have a little bit of fun, a little historical background here of of Hannah and then her husband Elkanah. They're living in... What at that time is called the hill country of Ephraim in a town called in this verse Ramathim Zophim but later through the whole rest of the book it's just called by his normal name Rama that's what it's going to be called even in this chapter they're going to go to sacrifice and then they're going to come back home to Rama it's that's just that's the same same name same town uh so they're in the hill country now there's a map here now I love maps I love maps I'm a huge maps fan map geek fan fan um i got some highly detailed maps at home just for fun and so i thought it would be great not just to pull a map off the internet but to to take a picture of a map and put pencils on it and maybe next time i'll put my face down there or some smiley stickers or something but i love maps Uh, But I wanted just to kind of get a sense of where things are in relationship to one another and and especially the key points in this story You have got the mediterranean sea over there the blue over there You've got the sea of galilee up here and then jordan river goes down to the dead sea uh, Down there and you have jerusalem, which is about um, Even with my hand here between the yellow and it's red it doesn't look red, but it is red um, Jerusalem is about this height Usually if you want to know where Jerusalem is You go to the top of the Dead Sea over And you're, you're pretty close to, to where Jerusalem is um, So you've got this, this dark bit You've got these mountain ranges here Now the middle one, which is red That's Ramah That's Ramah that's, that's on what is called here The hill country of Ephraim Now most of the time in the Old Testament That's not called the hill country of Ephraim Usually that's called Benjamin or the 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 benjamin plateau it's this highland area um north of jerusalem in the tribal allotment of benjamin so in joshua's day that was benjamin in the day of the kings that's benjamin okay that's that's that area there why is it called the the hill country of ephraim in this moment well because in the period of the judges there is a, a unique time period where if you remember maybe you do maybe you don't, Nearly all the benjamites were wiped out during the period of the judges. So there's only 600 men left Basically the whole tribe is wiped out And so ephraim kind of t- takes uh, moves into most of the land there And and it's only in the period of the judges that it's referred to as the hill country of ephraim Um, you see this in chapter 4 of the book of judges in the deborah story And then you see that here in the samuel story in this period of the judges in the new testament that that area That's called something different. That's called um, Judea is part of Judea and in fact the town rama has a different name rama has a different name in the new testament It's called arimathea arimathea Which is where a particular rich man who was part of jesus's burial joseph of arimathea. That's that's his hometown anyway, so uh fun facts about about that anyway, so rama there is the quote-unquote red colored um colored pencil there that's a major significant location in our in our whole study it's where hannah is living and, and her husband it's where samuel was born and raised as a, as a as a baby and then it's also after samuel grows up and his adopted family die um, then he moves back and he does most of his ministry out of rama out of this same town here so th- this is going to be a very central place. It's only 5 miles north of Jerusalem, famous Jerusalem. At this point in time in history, Jerusalem's not a big deal to the story. Not yet. We haven't come to David yet where David takes Jerusalem. It's currently run by the Jebusites and not even the people uh, of Israel. So, um currently Jerusalem's not a big deal, but we're in Ramah, 5 miles north. Their other, the pencil up, up higher That's where Shiloh is that's, that's where the worship center is During the period of the judges All the way until, until our story Over the next couple weeks and, and Shiloh, so that's where Eli's family is That's where they're going to be going to worship It's 10 miles north of Ramah um, And so yeah That's the worship center until Well in a few chapters here And then the yellow mechanical pencil at the bottom That is Bethlehem or Ephrathah and that's a 45-minute walk or so south of Jerusalem. Uh, that is where um, Elkanah's ancestry is from. That's where his ancestry is from. Um, you, see, you, you see here, it sounds like, and it, it, it talks about him being an Ephraimite, uh, he lives in Ephraim, but we find out actually in 2 uh, Chronicles chapter 6 That Elkanah's family line, although he's associated with the Ephraimites is, His family line is he's a Levite who's settled And remember the Levites aren't given a, a land And they settle all throughout in all the towns and cities throughout So we learn in Second Chronicles chapter 6 that his family, a uh, Levite family Settled in, in um, Bethlehem down here and then over the last four generations or so, they've moved and they've, they've made uh, Rama their, their hometown. Okay, so those—again, he's not a priest. He's not making sacrifices. He's, he's a Levite. So that's, that's, that's kind of the main geog- geographical locations, at least, for now. And we'll, we'll talk more about th- these places later. But that's the context. Let's look at the story. The story reads like this, at least in my version here. It says, There was a man— from Ramathim Zephim in the hill country of Ephraim, his name was Elkanah, son of Jerome, son of Elihu, and Tohu, and Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, the first named Hannah, and the second named Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Hosts at Shiloh where Eli's two sons Hophni and Phinehas were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice he always gave portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely Just to provoke her Is it the same, same version on the screen as, as I'm reading here? Yeah, would taunt her severely just to provoke her Because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving That's why she's being intentionally provoked Whenever she went up to the Lord's house Her rival taunted her in this way Every year Hannah wept and would not eat Hannah why are you crying Her husband Elkanah asked Why won't you eat Why are you troubled Am I not better to you than ten sons Hannah got up after they ate And drank at Shiloh Eli the priest was sitting on a chair By the doorpost of the Lord's tabernacle Deeply hurt Hannah prayed to the Lord And wept with many tears Making a vow She pleaded Lord of hosts, or I am of hosts, or Yahweh of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her lips. Hannah was praying silently and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and scolded her. How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I have been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman, wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. The whole context of this book, the whole context of this book begins with a woman completely stuck in life. Completely stuck. And we see her tears. We see her tears. We see that there are three sources. Uh, of her pain and even though she's greatly loved by her husband there's overwhelming pain in her life and she has three sources of it the first there's there's the pain that god has kept her from her heart's deepest desire number one pain god has kept her from her heart's deepest desire it said in verse five the lord or yahweh had kept her from conceiving Do you know what it's like to have your heart's deepest desire forbidden from you? Kept from you? Especially, you know, God keeps something from you. It seems so simple. It seems so standard. And yet, try as hard as you can. You just can't seem to get what your heart deeply desires. No matter how many years you pray. No matter how many years you plead with God, Hannah, year after year after year after year. Do you know what that's like, to, to, to have your heart's deepest desire g- kept from you? Well, Hannah does. She wants a baby. She wants a baby, and, and in that, we can't even put ourselves fully in this cultural context. It's just not possible, but we, we'll try a little bit, and she, she, she wants a baby. She wants a baby to remove her, her, her shame, her disgrace in that society. It's just much deeper than that. That is the most shallow way of, of saying it. Um, She no matter she's just thought of as worthless So she's got this pain and this disgrace and this heart anguish and Deeply deeply painful stuff I mean, I mean our stuff there's things maybe a job situation or a relationship situation or spouse or Being rescued out of some situation Sometimes we find ourselves in pain just because we can't like god is keeping from us our heart's desire. She experiences that. Secondly, she experiences the pain of actively tormented by someone who hates her. She is actively tormented by someone who hates you. And uh, hate is a strong word, exactly. It may not actually be strong enough. We see her tormented by Peninnah who is oozing jealousy towards her because Hannah is more loved by their husband. And in Peninnah's jealousy, she is being evil. She's being evil, evil, evil towards, towards Hannah, taunting her, taunting her, provoking her because she can't have kids. She's provoking her. She's taunting her because of that, because of that pain. And she knows it's painful, and she's provoking her and taunting her. Every year, Hannah is being treated evilly because of Peninnah's jealousy. Now, a side note on jealousy I want to make sure we're clear on this one. Jealousy is real. Obviously, it's powerful. And God has jealousy. God has jealousy. It says God is a jealous God. Jealousy is not in and of itself inherently evil. Jealousy is not evil. Uh, real love, real love includes jealousy. There's jeal- God, the example God. God in His holiness, there's jealousy in God's love, but Jealousy is so powerful that very often people with strong, jealous feelings apply it, that apply, apply those feelings and act on those feelings in evil ways towards people. They treat people very easily because the feelings are so strong. And I just want to clarify that jealousy in and of itself is not evil. There is a holy jealousy, a jealousy good connected with love. But be very careful because it's also... Not a justifiable excuse to treat people horribly uh, Because you feel that way as pen does here. Um, I think in the bible it talks about anger again God has anger um, anger is not in and of itself an an evil thing Uh, but the bible says in your anger which is not inherently evil Do not sin Okay, so don't apply your anger in the same way with jealousy in your jealousy do not send it, it. It's kind of like that. Anyways, that's free. So Hannah is in this place. Hannah is in this place where she can't get away from being evilly treated. She is entirely stuck in this home, in this context, in this family situation where she is bombarded by, with intentional torment, and she's stuck. She's got this great pain on the inside, and she describes herself in her words as "I am a woman with a broken heart," and she says that the state of her heart. She has in the last words of verse 16 that she has anguish and resentment. Anguish and resentment. Now, resentment that, that's a word that's translated um, differently in different versions. Resentment, but basically the word means vexation or or anger. Anger. Vexation can mean anything from like I'm highly irritated. I'm angry. I'm I've got. Ra- I'm furious. I'm fury. It's, it's this, this word. This woman is not okay. She is in anguish and potential fury, ir- anger. No doubt she's angry at her life situation, at, 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 just, at just what's happening to her, that like God's preventing her from this, that her, that her uh, well, this person, Peninnah, is, is tormenting her intentionally. She's angry. She's feeling shame. She's hurting. And yet I want to remind you that God is going to redeem these painful years. I'm not willing to say that God inflicted her with these painful years, but He, did, he didn't rescue her right away. He didn't rescue her right away, and He's going to make something beautiful out of all these years of pain. He's not intentionally instigating this pain in her life, but He's going to use it to set her up for, for her, her, her major contribution to the nation. But there's more to add when it comes to her pain Not only is she in pain due to the Lord keeping her from the, her deepest heart's desire And pain from being actively tormented by someone who hates her But number three, she, in her pain she's misunderstood in her anguish She's misunderstood in her anguish e- Eli the p- priest is looking at this woman who is praying silently And although her lips are moving, her voice couldn't be heard And so Eli misunderstood and he thinks that she's drunk And so he scolds her She gets scolded in her anguish She gets scolded by the most powerful man in the nation The high priest Is scolding her and telling her off She's being misunderstood Again, just a quick little note Back then and really until about only 100 years ago or so um, People prayed out loud Like loudly even at homes, when you read missionary biographies of people in Scotland and things like that, you've got, you hear about the, these dads or, or moms, and they're uh, mostly dads like praying and praying loudly for their family and praying for their home, Pr- like shut up in a room in a closet kind of place, praying, praying loudly, praying out loud. That was normally what, when, we, when we're seeing people go, especially to the tabernacle and temple, they're there to be praying out loud, and so this is actually really unique, even though it might be normal for us to think, oh, I'm going to go and pray quietly that's not really the biblical example at least what we see in the pages of the bible usually people praying out loud so that's 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 just a thing i feel challenged about that. okay i'm going to i want to raise the volume of my own prayers that's just one of my simple takeaways from here but in her pain she's scolded and she's misunderstood it's it's just an incredible mess but family this is the context this is the context that, that horrible, horrible context that sets Hannah up to follow God well. This is the context that sets her up to follow God well. And as she follows God, the, again, the impact's gonna be felt for generations. God uses painful situations in our lives to prepare us to follow God well, especially when He's gonna ask big things. In May this past year, I, I had this, uh, I've talked about it before, but a, a prayer time where there was three people praying for me People who don't really know our church situation very well at all or what's been going on but the three of them were, were praying for me and uh, they, had, they had pretty strong prophetic gifts and it was shocking how spot-on they were in some of the things But the three of them spoke Spoke about how God has been using discouragement in my life And how God has been using d- discouragement here in the church A lack of answered prayers in my life and in this church, and the associated pain connected to those things. That God has been using those things to set us up for His next. When it wasn't exactly the path that we were planning on walking. Uh, I I I quote this person speaking. Uh, They were speaking and and they were talking. You know, God God did not let some things come to pass. God did not allow the premises. And the growth that you had, your heart uh, that you had on your heart, and that you thought was a surefire thing. In the spirit, I see a forward movement that looked like it was riding the crest of a wave, and then it crashed onto the beach, and it. Did not move in the way you thought it would continue to move Now if you've not been around our church for a long time um, Over the last several years we've been praying for more space and we have been uh, Pursuing different church buildings and we have been looking like oh man This is definitely come together and feeling really traction We've been praying about this space and that space and they, they again like a wave crashing on the sea on the seashore It's just it, they've just kind of fizzled it out and became nothing It's amazing that this person would would say this. I mean it's god god is was at work in this prayer time They definitely didn't know our our story Uh, So anyways, I continue quoting it says God God was stopping a mindset of addition And bringing you into a mindset of multiplication He wants to give an anointing of multiplication And having a secure headquarters But becoming a church planting Movement in their word in that particular moment, although over the next couple of minutes as they describe what it is It's what they're describing is what we're doing when it comes to different ca- setting up different campuses in the north and the south and the east and uh, West side of the city here. It's it's just it was an incredible time here But then this person continued and they said that is why you have felt so frustrated because there was a mindset to add When the call is to multiply Basically the person is saying And it's just shockingly accurate That God has been allowing disappointment and frustration And a lack of answered prayer the, uh, the inability to move forward In the ways that it looked like We were going to be moved forward The things that looked like it was, it was all coming together uh, That we would be moving into like a central church location or whatever, So that the frustration Would set us up to be ready For God's Different direction than what we were expecting i think that's pretty incredible of god i'm like i could have just used a a word that would have been fine but but he he just chose to use frustration and disappointment to to get us ready as a church god uses that to prepare people for next steps now again not all negative moments or painful moments are setups to move on I want to make that clear. Sometimes we're called to keep going in the pain. Hannah, year after year, she is not called to run away from Elkanah's home because it's an unhealthy environment for her. She's not called to, to, to do anything like that. She, stay, she stays in it year after year. She calls out to God. Her call is not to run away, but it's to stay in that pain until God answers her prayer. So again, in this story, there's a bit of perseverance in pain. Not a bit of, year after year of perseverance. But also painful preparation So she's ready to give To God what he's going to use To impact the next generations and, and this is what happens in Hannah's story Her pain brings her to a point Where she makes a vow to God And in verse 11 we read this said making a vow She pleaded Lord of hosts If you will take notice Of your servant's affliction Remember And not forget me And give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. His hair will never be cut. He's going to be a Nazarite. In Numbers chapter 6, we read about Nazarites. A Nazarite is somebody who for a season or for all their lives is especially dedicated to God, and their life is marked by three different vows. Never to cut their hair. Uh, Not a problem for me, but for most people. No alcohol. No alcohol. And it can't be around dead bodies, or it uh, can't be around things dead. That's part of the, the vow there. So he set him apart. I'm mean, going to set him apart, especially to you as, as a Nazarite. Now, what makes, this, what makes this moment powerful is not so much that she makes a vow to God, but that she makes a vow to God in agreement, in alignment with what God is, is wanting for, for this boy, for, for Samuel, this, this baby that was going to be born. And, and if you're looking at it, you're like, Brian, I don't know if that, that might be reading too much into that It doesn't say here that God told Hannah to make a vow that, That's right But I just want to remind you that so often, especially when it comes to big things Like, God, I'm going to give you this big sacrifice Or I'm going I'm to dedicate this, I'm going to do this Some, Sometimes we think that those big ideas are our ideas God, if you give me a baby, I am going to give it to you. I'm not gonna raise it myself. I'm gonna, like, we think, oh, that's, that's, that was my idea. No, no, no. When you zoom back, very often you realize, oh, God's fingerprints are all over bringing this together, bringing you to that point where you're like, if you do this for me, I'm gonna bring this special offering. If you do this for me, I'm gonna do this as well. When Hannah finally surrenders, what god wanted her to surrender when he when he, she offered this boy to him for whatever his plans or purposes Then god was ready to answer her prayers now There's gonna be a cost but she she was willing and and, and you know what? I I think this is pretty special and I hadn't noticed this before she gives him up. So she, Samuel's gonna be born She's going to nurse him and then when she's done nursing him. She's gonna bring him to to eli and she's going to give him up for the rest of his life However, like I hint, mentioned earlier uh, uh, That family, Eli's family is going to die And then Samuel is going to be living back in that hometown The same town where his mom and dad live I, I think that's interesting that his mom is going to see And be in the same town, same village Where her son is one of the greatest judges in, in, in all of Israel's history And she's going she's gonna to let him go But he's going to kind of be, be back in her, in her life when he's older Anyway, so her her vow brought her breakthrough because it's this agreement with god's heart answered prayer followed wholehearted surrender And really wholehearted surrender in agreement with god Now I think i've said this before I don't like making bargains uh, with god in prayer or vows or promises to god in prayer I I think it's not something that i'm uh want to be quick to do at all, but I do sometimes I do sometimes And sometimes in my desperation, I will say God if you will do this for me, if you'll answer this prayer, then I will. I do that sometimes, and I, I think that's not because it's my idea, I, but I think God has been setting up that sometimes. Uh, there are examples of God, of people making vows that they shouldn't have made all through the Bible, but that's another, another message. Anyway, so Hannah, Hannah does this, and she gets breakthrough, but remember, it's not an overnight breakthrough. It's over time. It's over time. Now, we're going to continue with this this story next week. But before we leave off, I want to say this to you. If you find yourself in a painful moment, God can redeem your pain, and God can redeem your disappointments and your anguish if you keep following Him. If you, keep trust, if you keep saying yes to him in your pain, if you don't turn away from him and you keep saying, God, I'm going to trust you, and if you spend your time in your season of pain saying, uh, learning to follow God well, God, I'm going to follow you well in this very painful time of my life. I am not going to turn from you. I'm going to still follow you well. If you're in a season of pain, a lot of us know what that's like. Not your exact context, not your exact situation, but, but we know what seasons of pain are like And the good news is If you're trusting God If you're praying to God There's probably a purpose In your pain There's definitely Powerful potential good There's probably a hidden purpose In your pain There's definitely powerful potential for good I just know that's what our God's like And so the challenges this week are are, are questions, three questions that you can bring to God if you find yourself in a painful season. Uh, Here's here's three things that you could be asking God in prayer this week. God, would you please reveal to me the purpose behind this pain? Give me a glimpse. I'm not saying he's going to give you a glimpse, but it's well worth asking because if he does, you're going to be like, yes, thank you for letting me see a little bit more of your purpose in this moment. Give me a glimpse. Secondly, God, is there something you want me to give up to you or something you want to ask of me that I might normally be resistant to? Ask now. Ask now. I don't want any more pain. Just ask. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, you want that? Oh, okay. Uh, number three, God, is, there a, is, is this a time to persevere in this pain? Or a time to prepare for the next season you have for me? That's a very important question. God, which, which, which is this? A time to persevere or a time to prepare to move?